we're in week five of a series that we're looking at heaven. And um, if you're so inclined um, and God lays it on your heart, like you get bored today, uh, right now, like, um, you can pray for me because this is the hardest one I do. And what I want to do is I want to remind you of just some reality today, some eternal reality, because we've talked about this. Everything you see is temporary. What you don't see is what's going to last. Eternal realities are things you don't see. They're the things um, uh, right now that we see. Those are temporary things. If it's material or physical, it ain't going to last, okay? Your body's not going to last. For some of us, that's obvious. Um, this building, this building is not going to last. Your car is not going to last. Trees even die. Mountains even erode because everything that's material fades away. The things that are going to last are the things we can't see. We can't see God. We can't see the angels. We can't see God's Holy Spirit. We can't see heaven. The Bible says those are the things that are going to last forever. So look at this text um, with me up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 4. It says this, our physical body is becoming older and weaker. Anybody give a testimony about that? Um, I cut wood for two days this week, split wood for two days. I'm still <laughs> feeling it. But our physical body is becoming older and weaker, but our spirit inside us is made new every day. We have small troubles for a while now. And it's interesting because people will read that and say, well, my troubles aren't small. It's like, do you know who wrote this? This is the Apostle Paul who wrote this, who had been beaten many times and left for dead. He had been bitten by serpents. He had been shipwrecked. He had been put in jail. He had all these things happen to him because of Jesus. And he says, we got a little troubles for right now. But, they're, but here's what's happening because of those. They are helping us gain an eternal glory that is much greater than the troubles. He's saying, this life is preparation for the next. The things we're doing right now, the trouble we're going through, the stuff that's happening, this is preparation for the next life. He says, we set our eyes not on what we see, because sometimes what we see is not real good. He says, we set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. What we see will last only a short time, but what we cannot see will last forever. You see, the point Paul's making here in 2 Corinthians is that spiritual realities are actually more real than physical realities. And we need to be focusing not on things that'll fade away, but on things that'll last forever. There's some realities of life. It's like, you don't get to decide this, I don't get to decide this. They're just realities of life. We've talked about this many times, but I'm going to go over this again because it'll set up what we're going to do today. Here's the first reality of life. God made you to love you, and He wants your love back. That's why you're here. That's the first and foremost reality of life. God exists. He made you so that he could love you and he wants you to love him back. You were made by God and you were made for God. And until you understand that, life isn't going to make sense. I know so many people, they go through their whole life not understanding that and life doesn't make sense for them. What are we doing here? What's happening? Because they miss that. They, they, they don't understand. It's all about God. It's all about His glory. God made you and He made you so that He could love you and you were created as an object of His love and if God hadn't wanted to love you, He wouldn't have made you. There has never been a person made that God doesn't love. And not only does He love you, He's given you the capacity to learn to love Him back. We get to love God back. 
That's the first purpose of life, to learn to love God back. Um, Jesus kind of, he, they asked him what the most important commandment was, and he literally summarized the entire Old Testament by saying, here's the, here's the, like the, the cliff notes of the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes the whole Old Testament. Those are the first two great commandments. It's all about love. And so God says, I made you to love you. I want you to love me back. That's the first reality of life. God says this in the book of Jeremiah. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. If you struggle with believing that God loved you, that's a good verse to memorize. God says, I'm trying to draw you to me. I want you to get to know me. I want you to really get how much I love you. He wants you to know and love him back. That's first. The second great reality of life is this. You were made to last forever. One day, hopefully not right this minute, your heart's going to stop beating. That'll be the end of your body. It's not going to be the end of you. The Bible says that you and I, as human beings, we were created in the image of God, and that means God put in us eternity. The Bible says exactly that, Ecclesiastes 3.11. I love this verse. It says, He has planted eternity in the human heart. That's why no matter how good things are on this planet, no matter what happens to you, there is still a longing in you, and at some point in your life, you'll go, there's got to be more than this. Because we have eternity planted in our hearts. And the truth is, there is more. There's a whole bunch more. Heaven, we've been talking about it for four weeks. You're going to spend far more time on the other side of death than you do on this side. If you were here last week, if you, do, if you weren't, go to iloveourchurch.com later and listen to it last week. Remember my rope last week. I had this little bit here, and then big long thing go off in eternity. This is what we have here. This is our life here. This is all we have. And you're going to spend way more time on the other side of that. On this side of it, we get, you know, 60, 80, maybe 100 years, whatever. On the other side is millions and billions and trillions of years. So this, as important as it is, is the warm-up act. This is like the preschool This is the practice lap around the track. Real life is going to go on in eternity. The Bible says this side is getting ready for that side. So we spend this time getting ready for that time. Life is preparation for eternity. You were made to last forever. He put eternity in your heart. And because of that, we have the third great reality of life. And the third great reality is God has prepared to eternal places, heaven and hell. Heaven is real. We've been talking about it for four weeks. Hell is real. They are literal places. There is a place called heaven. There is a real place called hell. We've been looking a little at heaven. It's a real place, but hell is also a real place. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He says, then he, that's talking about God, God will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, separated from God, he said, into the eternal fire. And the word prepared is emphasized there. It is prepared 
for the devil and his angels. Satan's angels are called demons. Satan, we talked about this. Satan rebelled against God. Hell was prepared for him and his demons, for Satan and his angels. It was not originally intended for human beings. Did you get, we've talked about John 14 and how Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. It's called heaven. There's another place prepared too. It's for the devil and his demons, his angels, and it's called hell. And if I choose to rebel against God, like Satan did, and if I choose to reject God, and I choose to say, you know what, I'm going to be my own God, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to say what I want to say, I'm going to be what I want to be, and if I rebel like Satan, I go where Satan goes. But it's not originally planned for human beings. It was planned as a punishment for Satan and his angels when they rebelled. So there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. Here's the fourth reality. You get to choose where you spend eternity. Everybody gets to choose. You got to choose one or the other, but everybody gets to choose. It's like the insightful theologian Robert Zimmerman said, also known as Bob Dylan. He said, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. You see, everybody serves somebody. Everybody, everybody has a God. You know, even atheists have a God. Everybody has a God. It may be the God of the Bible, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it could be your career. It could be money. It could be sex. It could be possessions. It could be power or prestige or fun. Anything you put before God becomes God in your life. And by that, you choose where you spend eternity. I hear people all the time, they say this to me, how could a loving God send people to hell? You've heard that, right? How could a loving God send people to hell? Did you know that God doesn't send anybody to hell? You choose to go there. It's like there's two doors in eternity. There's, there's one that goes to heaven and there's one that goes to hell. There's only two. There's not a whole bunch of different ways. There's, there's two choices. The first choice is Jesus. And on that door, this is the house rule. You get into heaven through this door. It's the only door to heaven. Jesus. He's already paid your ticket into heaven. He's already forgiven you. All you have to do is accept it. You just accept what he's done for you. It's a free gift of grace and you get to go to heaven. If you want to go to hell... Just do your own thing. It's really simple. You say, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to have anybody tell me what's right or wrong. I'm not going to have anybody tell me what to do. I want to run my life. If you choose to go through that door, if I choose to go through that door, I, I certainly can't blame God. He's done everything possible for me to go to heaven. He's already paid for it all. He's made it so easy, you just accept it by faith. If I say, thank you, no, I would rather stick to what I love more. Then that's not God's fault. That's my fault. Because it's a choice. Does God have the right to make rules for His house? Well, yeah, it's His house. In heaven, He has the right to say, if you want to come to heaven, here's how you get there. How do you get there? Not by earning it, not by working for it. Not by being good, but simply accepting the grace that His Son Jesus did for you by dying for you on the cross. If I reject His condition for entering heaven, He's not being unloving. 
I'm being dumb. He's not being callous. I'm being illogical. Can anybody blame God if I choose to say I'm going to go my way and this door out into eternity? We can't blame God. That's my choice. There's one other eternal reality that we need to cover before we actually jump into what we're going to talk about today, and that's this. There is no second chance after you die. You get to choose where you're going to spend eternity, but you have to choose now while you're alive, not after you're dead. In other words, I can't walk out this door that I choose for my own way and do my own thing and get out there and say, I don't like this, I want back. It doesn't work that way. God says, literally, I gave you an entire lifetime to make the right decision, and you didn't take it. You kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. I gave you a lifetime to make the decision. So we've been talking a little about heaven for the last four weeks, and I think we'll probably wrap it up shortly. We'll probably do another week next week. But given there are two choices, two eternal places that you can choose from where you're going to spend eternity, it's not fair to not really cover both places at least a little. So that's what we're going to do today. I hate it. We're going to do it. Um, and whenever I do a message on this, Julie always pats me on the back before I come up and says, give him hell, Tim. That's <laughs> what we're going to talk about today. So let me ask you a question. Here's a question I get all the time. We've got to ask a couple questions today. Here's one I get all the time. Why? Why does hell exist? I mean, why does there have to be a hell? There's actually two very good reasons. Two fundamental reasons why hell exists. Here's the first one. Because sin and evil exist. There are some people, you probably know some, they want to deny the existence of evil. They think that actually the world's full of good people and are basically good. That human beings are fundamentally by nature unselfish and kind and always good and always thinking about others. I want to say to them, have you turned on your television? Have you listened to the news? Have you watched the news or read the news or however you do it? I was going to say, have you read the paper? None of you have read the paper. Have you, have you in any capacity looked at what's happening in this world? It is filled with broken relationships. It's filled with broken promises and rape and abuse and murder and child molestation and all kinds of evil and terrorism. The world is filled with evil. It is all around us. When God looks at all the things that are done in the world that are wrong and bad and evil, it breaks God's heart. I have people all the time say to me, where is God when people get molested? Where's God when people get abused and when they're betrayed? Where is God with the rape and the murder and the terrorism and the crime all around us? Where is God? I can tell you where he's at and I can tell you what he's doing. He's weeping. He's grieving. He's brokenhearted when he sees it. And so the next question they ask me is always, well, then why doesn't he stop it? That's a good question, right? Did you know he could? God could eliminate all the evil in the world. You know how? Just get rid of all of us. Where do you think it comes from? It comes from our poor choices. You're not telling me you've always made every decision right and you've never hurt anybody, right? 
We've all done that. We've all hurt each other because God gives us a free will. That's our greatest gift. It's also our worst curse because we don't always make wise choices. While God gave us his free ability to choose right or wrong, good or bad, evil or righteousness, he gives us a choice and he gives us his choice because we were created in his image. So he gives us his free will and we often choose the wrong thing. As a result, people get hurt, intentionally or unintentionally, but people always get hurt. God could take away all the sin, all the suffering, all the sickness, all the evil in the world with a snap. You know how? Get rid of your free will and mine. Why does he give us free will? Well, first of all, he doesn't want robots. He gives us free will because he wanted you to choose to love him, not to be forced to love him. It's not real love if you're forced to do it. You know that. If you're forced to love me, that ain't real love. If I'm forced to love you, that's not real love. Love is only real love if you can choose not to. God gives you a free choice. You don't have to love God. You don't have to trust God. You don't have to obey God. You don't have to fulfill the purpose He made you for. If you choose, you can make your life a total mess. Why did God do that? Because he wants us to choose to love him. He wants us to choose to do right. God wanted a family that would live with him forever, and he wanted tested individuals who would voluntarily choose to love, to love him, to love each other, to do the right thing. And that can't be possible unless we're also allowed to do the wrong thing. So it's our greatest blessing, and it's our greatest curse, and it still breaks God's heart today when we hurt ourselves, when we hurt other people, when we hurt the planet that he's put us on. You need to understand that God allows sin on earth simply for this reason. So you can have a choice. But he does not allow sin in heaven. Because heaven's a perfect place. There are no imperfections in heaven. It's completely perfect. So there's no sin there. That raises an important problem. Heaven's a perfect place, and that means only perfect people get to go there. Otherwise, if God let imperfect people come in with their selfishness and their sin and their sorrows and their sickness and their evil, then it'd be just like earth. It wouldn't be heaven anymore. I don't want to go to heaven where a Hitler can do his thing. I don't want to go to a heaven where a rapist can do their thing. I want to go to a heaven where it's perfect and we're away from all that so only perfect people get to go there. That's a problem. I'm not perfect, and neither are you. David asked this same question in the book of Psalms. Psalm 15, David says this, Lord, who may enter your holy tent? Holy tent is a, a euphemism. It's an analogy for like coming into God's presence. It's like go, being in heaven. Who may enter your holy tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? And then here's the condition. Only those who are completely blameless and innocent, those who always do what is right. And I say, uh-oh. I don't know about you, but I don't fit that category. I'm not blameless. I'm not innocent. I don't always do what is right, so I've got a problem. And given the fact that we're in Minnesota and there's been snow, I can say this. There is not a snowball's chance in hell that I'm getting into heaven. <laughs> Unless God has a plan B. Because heaven is perfect, and I stopped batting a thousand about age one. 
And by the way, you did too. The Bible says we've blown it. We've all sinned. We don't measure up to our own standards, let alone God's. So there has to be a place for evil to go in eternity because it can't go into heaven. If I'm made to last forever and I'm not perfect, I've got to have another place to go. So first, why is there hell? Because there's sin and there's evil in the world. The second reason for hell is because God is holy and just. It's who He is. Holy means He's perfect. He can't sin Himself. And He's just, that means He believes in justice. God settles the score. He always does the right thing. The Bible says one day God is going to balance the books. He's going to bring justice to the world. He's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to settle the score. He will balance the books one day. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but have any of you noticed life is unfair? Think about this. What if you've been born in some poverty-stricken country that was filled with persecution? Was it fair that you were born here in America? and somebody else was born there? That's not really fair, is it? I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but people get away with all kinds of stuff here on earth. Bad stuff. In fact, people literally get away with murder on earth. That's not fair. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but bad things often happen to good people. And good things often happen to bad people. People who cheat and steal and lie and rob their entire lives often become enormously successful and they get away literally sometimes with murder. And then you have other people who try to do the right thing. They try to live the right way. They don't work at bad things in their life and yet their life goes south and things don't work out for them because life is not fair. I read this week, David was writing in the Psalms, he said, I would have despaired if I hadn't believed in the goodness of God. We just sang about that. In other words, I look at the world. If I just look at it and go, this, this isn't fair. People do bad things and get away with it. People who do good things don't get rewarded for it. If I didn't believe that one day God was going to settle the score, that God is just, that he's going to tip the scales one day, and he's going to even it all out, that there would be repayment and justice, then I don't think I could live with it. It just wouldn't be right. What would it be like if somebody like Stalin... Or, or Hitler, who gassed six million Jews, showed up in heaven. There'd be something wrong with heaven. What if Bin Laden showed up in heaven after telling everybody to go blow themselves up to help kill other people? One day God is going to settle the score. In 2 Thessalonians 1, it says this, In His justice, because He is just, in His justice... He will pay back those who persecute you. When I read that, it's like, yeah, (laughs) you get those people who are persecuting me. And verse 7, and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. Remember, he is coming back someday for us. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. Those who haven't claimed Jesus as Savior and followed their own way, go out their own door, it says they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. He says, one day, I'm going to settle the score. And some people are thinking, that's great. You know, all the people that hurt me, go get them, Lord. There's only one problem. I'm involved in that too. And so are you. We all are. 
2 Corinthians 5 says this, we will all stand before Christ to be judged. In other words, not just my enemies. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in our bodies. Why does hell exist? Because sin and evil exist and because God is holy and just. That's why it exists. So if it exists and that's why it exists, what is it like? The Bible describes it as a place of torment. You get the pictures. You have them in your head. There's one place that says, in darkness, they will cry out and grit their teeth in pain. And of course, we get all the normal images of hell that they're in the Bible. You know, the fire and the brimstone and things like that. We hear about all those things. That's not what I want to talk about today. It's all true. What I want to talk about, I think, is the worst part. You know what the worst part of hell is? It's total separation from God. That's the worst thing about it. It means I am totally apart from God, from His love, from His grace, total separation from God. 1 Corinthians 16.22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord, if you're not one of His, if you're not in Christ, if you haven't claimed Jesus as Savior, it says, Let him be separated from God and lost forever. The, the word is anathema. It means cursed. It means separated from him forever. Those who don't know him and love him. Here it is. If I go through my entire life saying, I don't want God in my life on earth. If I don't want God in my life on earth, why would I want to spend eternity with him? Why would I say, I want to live without God on earth, but I want to live with God in heaven? That doesn't make sense. God says, you get to choose. You want to live with me or without me? Whatever you choose on earth is where you'll choose in eternity, heaven or hell. So what's hell like? Think about it like this. If it's total separation from God, then it's the exact opposite of everything God is. For instance, we know that God is love. That's his nature. It doesn't, it doesn't just say God loves. It says God is love. What would it be like to live without God completely? No love. At all. The Bible says there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. The opposite of love is fear. You know what it means to live without love? In your life, it means you're scared to death all the time. That's hell. It means lonely, alone, all the time. That's hell. One of the big myths about hell is that it's like, it's like going to be a big party for all the people who chose that way, and they get to go to the big party, and you need to understand, no one will see anybody else in hell. It's total, the absence of love, we love God, we love others, that's the purpose of life. When that's gone, when we're the opposite of God, there is no love. There's total separation from God, there's total separation from everything else. There are no relationships in hell. There are no friends in hell. It's total aloneness. Han Solo got it wrong. My favorite one, episode five, Empire Strikes Back. If you, don't, if you haven't watched this, you'll think I'm crazy. I don't care. I am a little bit. He's, he's, on a, he's on a giant tauntaun, 
and which sounds funny in itself. And he's getting out ready to go ready to the, the ice on the ice planet Hoth, and he's gonna find Luke because Luke's lost and, and the temperature's dropping and the and the guard says, You can't do that. Your Tauntaun will freeze before the first marker. And you remember what Han Solo says? Then I'll see you in hell. And when he said that, first of all, it really bothered me. It's like you didn't have to say that. But what really bothered me the most is I wanted to grab him and shake him and say, no, you won't. You won't see anybody in hell. It's total aloneness. It's fear. It's because it's the absence of love because it's total separation from God. There's no love there. Another thing we know about God is God is light. You know what that means. Hell is complete darkness. In fact, the description of hell a number of times is they were cast, and it doesn't even say they were cast into darkness. They were cast into outer darkness. That's like you have the ring of darkness, you know, and then you have outer darkness because God is light and it's totally separated from him, so it's complete darkness forever. We know that God is good. We sang about it today. God is good. So there's absolutely nothing good in hell. Nothing. We have God's presence and grace here on this planet. God's presence is here. So as bad as things are, as bad as they will get, they'll never be as bad as they could be because God's presence is here. And he can take sometimes the things that are the worst and the hardest and he can bring good out of them. Because that's who he is. He's a good God. Hell is total separation from Him. That means there is nothing good in hell ever. We know that God is life. In Him is life. He is life. That means in hell it will be eternal death. We can have abundant life in the here and now even during difficult times because of who God is. But in hell there will be eternal death. We know that God is gracious. That means there is no place of grace in hell. Journey North Church is a place of grace. God's grace is abundant here. We often say you don't have to behave before you belong. <laughs> that you can belong and you can come to know Jesus and the behave stuff comes. You know, It's like we're fishers of men. Jesus said, you catch them, I'll clean them. He, he takes care of us from the inside out. And this is a place of grace. And you can come with your brokenness and your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups and your problems. And you can come and you can find grace here because God's grace is abundant here. Hell is a place of no grace ever. You don't want to choose hell. I beg you to accept the good news. How do you avoid hell? Because hell is the default destination because we're all broken. We're all sinners. Is there a way for me to know for absolute certain that I'm going to heaven? Here's the good news. You can absolutely, confidently, assuredly know that you're going to heaven. The Bible tells us how to do it. How do I settle my eternal destiny? John says it like this in 1 John 5.13. I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's the door. That's Jesus. 
I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus, so that you may know, not guess, not wonder, not hope, so that you may know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have life. Yes, eternal life. He wants us to know. God says, I don't want you to have to guess. I want you to know. I hope so is not a good answer to the question, are you going to heaven when you die? That's not a good answer to that question. Because there's only two places. And if it lasts forever, I don't want you saying, oh, I hope so. I want you saying, I know so. I know. You know, only a fool would go through his life unprepared for what we know is inevitable. Death. Do you know, a recent, I saw a recent survey, recent statistic shows the mortality rate in the world is 100%. Everybody dies. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Someday, I don't know when, I hope it's a long time from now, okay? But everybody's going to die. You're going to die. And only a fool would go all the way through life saying, yeah, I know I need to decide, but I'm going to put it off. I'm going to put it off. I'm going to put it off. Because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to drop dead tomorrow. I could walk out of here today and have a heart attack, drop dead. I am not guaranteed next week, next month, next year, much less next hour. I'm hoping it's not in the next few minutes because that would be real awkward for you. It would be really cool for me, but it would be really awkward for you. But the truth is, we don't know when. I have people who, they, I've talked to way more people than I want to that have that no, that I, that I care to talk that have a, a I'm, they say I'm terminal I have a terminal illness you know what that means you just have a little more of idea of time that it's short you, a little bit more idea the truth is we're all terminal and none of us knows whether it's going to be a day a week a month or a year we're not guaranteed anything why would we put that off if we don't know what's going to happen if you've never settled this, you need to settle this today. In a couple minutes, we're going to pray. And you can settle it today. You can, um, it, you can pray right where you're at in a few minutes um, and, and settle for sure where your eternal destiny is going to be. If you do that, I want you to write it. There's these cards in the back. I want you to write it on there so that you can tell us that we can be praying for you and with you because we're in this together. We do this way better together. Though You'll be able to go in the back if you want to meet with somebody and pray with them and pray afterwards, because I don't want you walking out of here without this settled. When I think of hell, I hate this subject. I hate talking about it. C.S. Lewis once, I got to have my C.S. Lewis quote for the day. C.S. Lewis once wrote concerning hell, actually many times, but one time he said this, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it lay in my power. And I have to say, I agree. I wish there wasn't hell. I wish that wasn't the default destination. I wish none of that was true. The problem is, it doesn't matter what I wish. It's a reality of life. It is difficult. It is depressing. It is discouraging for me the week that I have to study for it. But it's also incredibly motivating. Josh reminded me of a story I told once. It's a true story. In July of 1854, a man by the name of Charlie Peace was to be hung in London. 
He was a well-known criminal. He'd been in all kinds of trouble, and his choices had finally caught up with him. And on the day of his hanging, the church had their little ceremony thing, and as he marched through the streets of people toward the gallows, there was a priest walking with him, behind him reading from a prayer book. That's what they did. And as he's walking down the street, the priest is reading from this book, and he read this. Those who die without Christ experience hell which is the pain of forever dying without the release death itself can bring. And when he read that, Charlie looked back at the priest with this piercing look and shouted at him, Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And the priest was kind of shocked. He was shocked by his like verbal assault, but he answered, but he answered cautiously, Well, yeah. I guess I do. I suppose I do. And then Charlie said something amazing. He said, Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Do we believe it? If we believe it, we have friends and loved ones who need to make the right choice now. That's how serious this is. It's not just about being saved from heaven. Christianity is not a fire escape, not saved from heaven, saved to heaven. Christianity is not a fire escape from hell. That's not the only reason for it. It's we lose that and we gain heaven. That's the point. That's how serious this is. That's why I tell you this. I want each and every one of you to know for sure. Put the last verse up on the screen. Probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible. John 3.16. If you don't memorize scripture, you need to. And we're going to do that right now. And here's how you do it. John 3.16 is, it's the reference. It's the address. So that you can know where to find it. So here's what we're going to do. Out loud, we're going to read the address. John 3.16, and then we're going to read the verse, and then we're going to read the address again, and I want you to think about it as you say it. Are you ready? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16, that's the gospel. Perishing means being without God forever. And everything we said just scratches the surface of what it's going to be like. I'd like you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, you know for me what a a difficult subject this is. You know that the the pain that is real because I know that hell is real. As, as sure as I know that heaven is real and I'm going there because I've claimed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I know that hell is real and there are people headed there because they will not choose Jesus. My prayer, Father, is that nobody would be in that boat today. That whoever is listening to this that has not made that commitment to Jesus, they've not, they've not said, I don't necessarily understand it all, but I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he did, and I'm going to trust him to be my way into heaven. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from my way of doing things, and I'm turning to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life.
I'm turning to him to be my ticket to heaven. And I pray, Father, that in simple faith, anyone who's never come to Jesus would come to him today and just in their own words, in the quietness of their own heart, turn to Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, knowing that then for the rest of our life, you'll work that out in us. I pray, Father, that nobody would be without that today. And for those, Father, listening to this who have already stepped across that line, I pray that this would be an addition to our motivation to live the way we should, to share what we should with people because they need to know. Father, we love you. We thank you for providing this way in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. What a great song to finish this with. God made you to love you, to love you and he wants you to love him back. You were made to last forever. God has prepared two eternal places and you get to choose where you'll spend eternity. There's no second chance after you die. There's a choice set before you today. Choose life. We talk about this because it's reality. I have people say, you're just trying to scare the hell out of me. <laughs> The truth is, God's just trying to love the hell out of you. He wants you to come to Him. If you have not done that or you are not sure, you can be sure today. Go to Start in that back room back there. Somebody will meet you, go with you somewhere, pray with you. You don't have to live in uncertainty. You can know for sure. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait till next week to get back to heaven. I am okay. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Remember... Host homes, if you want to be a host home for the month of November, those four weeks in November, um, there's a sign-up in the back. They'll answer your questions back there. And on the 27th is when the mental health community starts here at church. Watch for more details on that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We do look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, we point to you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We can enter through that door and we can not only have heaven assured for us, we can have abundant life here and now. We can have our sins and our past forgiven as we experience life today in abundance with meaning and purpose and that living hope for the future in heaven. I pray, Father, that anyone listening to this would say yes to you today if they haven't already. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.